so we're con- continuing on in a sense, uh, we're continuing on in Ephesians. <clears throat> but in a sense, we're continuing on some of the thoughts that we have been in chapter 4. Many of the commentaries that I looked at and used this week, and then also just from reading the passage, um, it seems to fit well with Ephesians 4.25. Uh, these first two verses in Ephesians 5. Um, these were divided up by, by men. These were not uh, divinely appointed numbers, but uh, uh, nonetheless, the, the thoughts and the ideas tend to, to flow from what we have been studying, and we'll see that because in the very beginning, the first word we see is therefore. So if you would turn to Ephesians 5, Uh, I will read for us Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. It struck me this week as I had to go back and reread um, some of what we have been studying in Ephesians, I was struck with a sense uh, of Paul's responsibility to the Ephesians, his love for them, but the fact that these were his sheep and that his desire was for them to walk a life, to walk a walk that was worthy to the call that was placed on them. This is this is a very intense desire of Paul. And I share in that this morning. My desire is for each of us to walk this way. Uh, we have a mixture um, from chapter 4, uh, really starting in 17, of the new life that we live in versus the old life that we're to leave behind. And and Paul goes back and forth between negative things. Don't do these things. Stop doing these things. And the positive to say, do these things. Walk this way. Do these things in order to... And we come to uh, Ephesians 5 today. Therefore, be imitators of God. So when we see therefore, we obviously need to look back um, at what Paul has been teaching. He's been teaching how to walk. He, he, is, he said, don't steal, okay? Watch what you say. The things that you say are important. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by continuing in sin. Don't give in to your anger. Don't have a, an anger that is selfish. Be kind have a tender heart, forgive, and be forgiven. And kind of a side note this morning, it's one of the hardest things that we can do, I think, at least in my own experience, to be forgiven, to accept forgiveness. It's a a very difficult thing to ask for and to receive forgiveness. And this is this is uh, the root of this is pride, but another part of it is 
the men have been going through um, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland's book. Um, one of the things that we are contending with is the idea that God doesn't give us forgiveness reluctantly. God gives us forgiveness. God dispenses his mercy graciously, willingly. It's his desire to do so. But I think it's difficult for us sometimes to receive forgiveness from God and even from one another. But if we can't learn to to be forgiven, it's going to be very difficult for us to forgive others. So I think these things are, are tied together, and this is one of one of the things that Paul uh, desires the Ephesians to understand, and by extension for us to understand as well, is that um, we need to forgive others. We need to have a tender heart. The way that we regard one another is extremely important. So Paul offers this instruction to the Ephesians, and while it's it's contrary to their culture, some of these things that he's teaching, um, in these ideas they might be new to these new Christians, there shouldn't be anything new to us. We have a, a treasure of Scripture that we can reference to, to see these things differently and to understand better what it is Paul is saying. Even if you go back just a, a few verses to Ephesians 4.32, um, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. So this, this reminder that, that we have to actively be tenderhearted, to be kind, actively to forgive one another. Luke 6.36 also says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Luke 6.36 How do we extend mercy to people? One of the first things we have to do is we have to stop trying to decide whether they deserve it or not. Um, we'll get to that a little bit more. But we are to emulate God and His divine characteristics. We are to be imitators of God. And by the way, when it says, therefore be, that is a, the, the tense of that is, or become, therefore become imitators of God. The understanding isn't that it's flipping a switch, that, that, this, that this is a process of becoming imitators of God, but we are to emulate God in those divine characteristics that we see in his word. We're to love as God loves. And we ought to be, we ought to strive to be conformed to the image of Christ, who is, as it says in, in Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification for his sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is the exact imprint of God. Uh, our, our prayer this morning was about Trinity. There isn't a division within the Trinity. There is unity within the Trinity. Three, three persons, one God. Christ Jesus is God. And we can emulate Christ because we see him walking around in Scripture. We see him eating. We see him sleeping. We see him weeping. We see him getting angry. 
So it's, it's easier for us to imitate him because we can see the example of the Son. And if we think about it, it's easy for us to imitate those things that we like. Now, growing up in the 80s, I saw many people who wanted to have red jackets with zippers all over them. I saw a lot of those. That was very popular. And as a kid growing up as a teenager in the 90s, how many people did I see with lines cutting their head? Chad was an amateur barber in college. He probably cut a lot of lines in the mid-90s. Because people, when vanilla ice burst on the scene, they wanted to have lines cut in their head because that was cool. I've seen football players with their numbers, you know, cutting their hair. We very easily adopt the vernacular of our culture. Things that we hear people say that we think are interesting or neat or cool or whatever, we very easily adopt those things. It's almost as if we were designed to emulate the things that we enjoy. Imagine that. We are designed to worship. We are designed to imitate. But sin leads us to emulate the world instead of God. So we're to be, we're to be imitators of God. This is a, a kind of a opening volley, if you will, in this section of Paul's where he says very simply and very plainly, be imitators of God. And we move into the next part where he says, as beloved children. There is there's something amazing about the love of a child. Each of my boys are very dear to me. Um, I still use handmade bookmarks that they've made for me. Uh, T-shirts that they thought were funny and they buy for me, I still wear. And for anybody who will listen, I'll tell them all the, the cute things that they used to say or do growing up and, and all those things. It, 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 they're very dear to me. It's very easy for me to discuss my love for my children. And Paul uses this language because this is how we are to God. We are his beloved children. We aren't his reluctant children. We aren't uh, what he has to tolerate or because he said he would save us, he does, and, and therefore he just kind of lets us be. No, we are his beloved children. We are heirs to all that Christ is heir to. God loves us with a love that's so deep that we really don't have good words to describe it. We have the Bible, which helps us. Obviously, it, it informs our minds. It, it, it changes our, the perceptions of our heart, the way we understand God. And it, and it explains to us the love of God in the best possible terms that we can understand it. We don't understand the depth of the love of God, not because he can't explain it, but because we can't understand it. We are dull in our understanding. So when we are walking our walk, when we are living our lives, we should consider whether our walk 
is like God's or whether we are in step with the world. We should examine the things that we do. We should examine the things that we care about. We should look at those things and we should ask ourselves, am I in step with what the Word of God says? Does my walk look like Jesus? When people see me, do they, do they see Jesus? <clears throat> if we are, have been saved by grace, by God's grace, then our desire should be for His things. I thought about the weird example this week or a weird idea. If you were as a small child to lay down and take a nap and then wake up as an adult. And it's kind of the opposite of like Tom Hanks and Biggs, Big, where you're grown up on the inside, not on the outside. What would be different? You wouldn't necessarily want to play with dolls anymore. Um, if girls really did have cooties, then boys would probably want to have cooties. You know, you would desire those things. You have different things. If you ask children what it is they like, it's different than what adults like. But we would, we would put away childish things and walk as mature adults. And not only are we to walk as beloved children because of God's great love for us, but also we have to consider that there are children following us, emulating us, whether it's biological children or spiritual children, whether it's small children or whether it's people who are new to the faith, they are emulating us and we ought to consider how we can walk more plainly. As beloved children of God, we should reflect the love of God. Those who see us walking should be encouraged to walk a different way than where than what they are walking. We need to walk so those who are behind us can follow more easily toward God. We see a couple times in Scripture Paul encouraging his audience to follow him, to imitate Christ like I do. Don't try to be like me, but try to be like Christ by watching what I do. We can learn so much from those who are just a little farther ahead of us. Uh, I've mentioned many times, but it's, it's a very deeply ingrained thing in my mind about everyone should have a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas. You should have a, a Timothy, someone who is walking behind you and who you are building into. You should have a Barnabas, somebody who walks alongside you, that's not impressed by you and the things that you do that will correct you. And then you need to have a Paul, someone that you can emulate, someone that you can follow after in the faith. Not someone who's perfect, because that, that isn't us. But someone who points us to the one who is perfect. And we ought to do the same. As beloved children of God, emulating Him, we should make it plain for those who follow us what way they ought to go. So we're to be imitators of God as beloved children, and we're to walk in love. Walking in love should be the easiest thing in the world for the Christian. But it quite obviously is not. It's very easy for us to go 
into any book, any book, or not any book, but many books, or on the internet, and see where those who profess Christ walk into a ditch and ruin their lives by sin, or lead others astray, or or create a cryptocurrency scam to get their whole church involved so they can build, build themselves a new house. Yeah, look that one up. But it's easy for us to see that, and, it, and, and failure is more popular than success, obviously. But it's, it is clear that it's difficult for those, even those who, who are, in, especially for those who are in Christ, to walk this way. The world doesn't care. The world doesn't hold to a desire to walk in love in a way that emulates God. But this is our call. We ought to walk in love. I think that one thing that makes it this difficult for us is, is our perception of the command. Many times I pray that God would, would bring people into my path so that I can, I can practice showing them the love of Christ. I pray this prayer, and I think it's, it's a passive request because I go and sit down and wait for somebody with a a ruined life to come bumbling into my path. That's my perception a lot of times of how it is I'm supposed to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the context of what we're we're talking about. A lot of Paul, a lot of this uh, that Paul is dealing with is how do we how do we interact with one another? Other brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's let's begin there. How do we love one another properly? But I don't think this is a if this is a a passive uh, command from Paul. It doesn't really fit in the rest of the passage. It's a very active thing. As in, go go out and find people in need of God's love and give it to them. Be active. Be intentional. Be thoughtful. Think about what way within me offends my brother and what can I do to put it aside? Uh, Romans 14, 15. Um, this, this kind of strikes me as I think about it. Romans 14, 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. But, what you, but, but by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Seems like a silly thing. What's it matter what we eat? Well, we know that there are a lot of cultural issues. Um, There are things that the Jews were commanded not to eat. Paul was careful not to do that in their presence because uh, even though he had freedom, he didn't want to make them stumble. If you know me, you know I'm a picky eater. And I try not to make that a, a, a problem. Um, but not even eating. <clears throat> As an early Christian, I had a serious problem with alcohol. If someone was a professing Christian and I saw alcohol in the refrigerator or out on their counter, I would say, oh, nope, I got you. You're fake. Because of my past. Not because the Bible says that if, if anyone drinks alcohol in any capacity, then 
then they're clearly lying about their faith. But because that was my perception, I had to overcome this idea and say, no, the, the Bible prohibits drunkenness. But the Bible says, have a little wine for your joy. So my perceptions, the way that I understood these things, um, many of the things that I, that, I, that I believe to this day are in desperate need of reform because of my sin and because of my, my past and because of the things that I have understood. So we need to, to change our perception of this idea that it is we are to, to walk in love, but we are to actively do so. So don't let something as simple as, as what you eat in front of a brother or sister cause them to stumble. Uh, we talked a lot about the cousin book to Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, so let's consider Colossians 3.14. <clears throat> Colossians 3.14. And above all these put on love which binds together everything in perfect harmony. One of the main points that runs through each of uh, Paul's letters is unity. Unity within the body of Christ. We can't be divided. We can't have factional uh, <clears throat> issues within our church. We can't have dissension over silly things. We are to have unity. We are to be together. There's unity in God. So there is to be unity in His people. We can also consider in the Gospel of John, John 13, 34. <clears throat> John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And we're to walk in this love. You know, our, our thoughts and our desires, those things can... Um, can take a deep root. You know, sometimes we think about things or we have a perception about things, or maybe it's about somebody. We let a thought that we have about somebody take root in our mind, and it really damages our perception of them, and it prevents us from walking in love, and it disrupts the unity that we're supposed to have together. So, I've mentioned before pride, my pride, my ego prevents me from doing these things. Why should I have to change? I'm not doing anything wrong. I have Christian liberty. I can do as I please. But I need to take that pride and that ego and, and stuff it in a sack and toss it over the fence. It isn't beneficial to my walk. Those things are a hindrance to my walk. And they're a hindrance to your walk as well. Pride and ego. This is a, a reality. If I ever get separated from my family when we go up to the tree farm, I will die. I don't carry a backpack. I don't wear a vest. I even leave my water jug back on the ATV. I hate being weighed down. I hate being encumbered by those things. So if, if, if ever I get lost, that's it. Uh, Alicia and the kids will come back alone. Um, and it, it's things that I probably need. I understand that. I understand that my attitude about that is probably wrong. 
all of my children are faster than me. So if we encounter a bear, I'm sorry, the little bear bell that I have is not going to do me any good. That'll be the end. It's it. So I, I leave all that stuff behind because I, I don't want to be encumbered. Maybe if I were in better shape, it'd be less of a problem. But And maybe one day I'll regret it. But you will never regret laying aside your pride for the sake of walking in a manner worthy of your call before God. Our pride is like antifreeze. It tastes sweet, but it will kill you. And if this, if this sounds difficult, let's, let's read on. Let's continue reading on. So, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This is a, a shocking kind of love that our, our feeble minds really can't understand. You know, sometimes we will have an epiphany and we'll have a, a, a moment of clarity where it really is, is an amazing thing for us to think about the love of Christ. But those are kind of moments that we move from one to the next. And a lot of times, for myself at least, I'm not awed or amazed by that. If there's anything that's awesome, it's the love of God. I use that word far too often. There's, there isn't much awesome in the world and nothing apart from God. Romans 4.25 Romans 4.25 says, It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead our Lord, or, uh, raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justifications. It's easy for us, I think, in a Christian context to hear this a lot and for it to kind of become a commonplace. You know, well, how, how are you saved? Well, Christ died and, and, and he, he lived a perfect life and he died and, and he was raised again. And, and it's very, very easy for us to, to kind of gloss over that and to not internalize the reality of, of what that actually means that he was delivered up for our trespasses. They came for us and took him instead. <clears throat> this is another weird thing that I thought about this week, but if you could take $400 a month from your salary, give it to some complete stranger every month, but it would save their life, would you do it? That'd be a tremendous hardship. I mean, even if the financial obligation of giving away $400 a month of your hard-earned money was tolerable, would you be able to not say things like, I wonder what they're doing with my money? This is a very, very, very small example because Christ didn't give up $400 a month, and I'm not trying to solicit money from anybody, nor am I suggesting that you have to give everything that you have away in order to walk in a worthy manner before God. But what I'm saying is Christ that God sacrificed in Christ more than we can ever imagine. And we're called to be imitators of Him. We are called to imitate God who in Christ sacrificed His Son. Nothing was held back. 
Jesus didn't say, I'll give everything but this. Christ was sacrificed fully on our behalf. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So God didn't, God didn't spare his son on our behalf. God didn't hold back what was necessary. And yet he still wants to give us more. Remember when I mentioned earlier that we are joint heirs with Christ? We won't be in want of anything if we give up ourselves for the sake of others. God's math is different than our math. If God gives me a gift and then I immediately give it away to somebody else, I haven't lost anything. If God calls me to do something and I go and I do that and it costs me my life, I haven't lost anything. God's math is different than our math. Why would Christ do this? What was he aiming to accomplish in giving himself up? To make a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. What does it mean to be a fragrant offering? Genesis 8.21 Genesis 8.21 says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And this seems like a strange thing. Are we then to put on God's favorite cologne? Is that, is that what the, the essence of this is? In a sense, yes. What is that? What is, what is it that is this aroma, this fragrant offering that pleases God? Well, first let's look at two passages, a, longer one, a shorter one and a longer one. Let's look at Jeremiah 6, uh, Jeremiah 6.20. Um, and I can read that one, and if you want to go to Isaiah chapter 1, I'll read it next. Jeremiah 6.20 says, What use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba, or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Let's go to Isaiah 1, and I'll read 11 through 15. Isaiah 1, 11 through 15. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new, your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. 
When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So these things seem contradictory. God is pleased. There's a pleasing aroma that's, that, that, um, sat, that satisfies God. But then also, He doesn't want our burnt offerings. Why? Because our hearts are wicked. He doesn't want our sacrifice. The, the blood of rams and bulls is not enough to cover the sin of man. So what is this fragrance? This fragrance is perfect obedience. Matthew 5, 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. That is a big problem. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. Without the blood of Christ interposed between us and God, there is no atonement. God will not be satisfied with our fragrant offering. We, we hear the term propitiation. That's, a, that's an acceptable offering made to God. We cannot make an accept, acceptable offering to God. That offering that is accepted is only Christ. We are a stench in His nostrils. Only the sacrifice of His Son was sufficient. We can go lots of places in the Scripture to see this, but I found a, a, a ton of things in Hebrews, so I'll read uh, four different uh, verses in, in Hebrews, and I'll kind of jump around, but I'll try and tell you where I'm at. I'll start in Hebrews 7.27. Hebrews 7.27, He has no need, He being uh, Christ, like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. This is a, an acceptable sacrifice. Hebrews 9.14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The perfect Christ, the blood of the perfect Christ is acceptable to God. Our dead works are not. Hebrews 10.10 10. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. If we could sacrifice a bull and somehow God would find that sacrifice acceptable for the forgiveness of our sins, we would have to get up again the next day and do it again and again and again and again. But once, once Christ was sacrificed and His offering was fragrant, His offering was acceptable to God. But when Christ, Hebrews 10, 12, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That is the finished work in which our salvation is dependent. We are destined from birth to justly, sacri to justly suffer 
the wrath of God for eternity. But we were snatched to safety by the boundless love of of our Savior at a tremendous cost to Himself. Just Just condescending to us and coming into this world is incredible. The the difference between perfect unity with God and a sinful world, it's difficult for us to fathom. But this is how we're called to walk. Because around us are millions of people who are racing to hell. All of their life, all their energy, all their will is bent on racing to that destination. Their desire is for their own destruction and they don't even know it. They're ignorant to the reality that they're living lives that are not a fragrant offering to God, that don't appease Him. And they're, they're racing with all their strength. So we ought to walk as men and women who are eager to show our love to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and who are committed to take the the commandment to share the gospel of Jesus to a dying world. It would be very... It's not difficult at all for us to find lost people. I could take a rock from my front walk and, and hit somebody who is lost in my own subdivision. We are to imitate God. We are to to be imitators of God and how we love one another within the context of our church and the church. We are also to be imitators of God as, as beloved children in how we address a world that hates us, honestly. And we have to be okay with that. A world that hates God should hate us. If it doesn't, then we have cause for concern. We are to imitate God by practicing love toward the unlovable, by giving ourselves as Christ gave himself for us. And if you're here today and you're living apart from this love, apart from the saving love of God, then you're in mortal peril. Peril. Your destiny is, as I mentioned before, is to suffer justly for what you've done. All of us, our acts, our deeds, the best that we can do, our best good, is a stench in the nostrils of God. We cannot appease the God who made everything and sustains everything, who created time, who created all of us. We cannot appease Him. But the good news is, there is pardon. Namely, through the blood of Christ, the Son of God. So my call today is, if you're here and you're, and you're outside of this love of God, if you, if you don't have a desire to be an imitator of God, then my call for you is to repent. Turn away from your sin. Confess your sin. 
put your faith in Christ and be saved. This is how we ought to walk. This is what Paul's desire is for us. This is what God's desire is for us. And this is what my desire is for all of us, to walk in this manner. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, you called us out of darkness. Father, you have sent your own Son to live a perfect life, to die in our place and to be raised again, that we might, if we believe on him, be raised with him again. Father, this kind of love is difficult for us to understand. We are dull in our understanding and our, in our minds. And we pray that you would enlighten us, that we would see your love, that we would know your love, and that our desire would be to walk according to your love as beloved children, to imitate you, to follow after your Son and to be made into his image. I pray that there would be none of us today who are comfortable walking any walk in any way contrary to what you set before us. And I pray, Father, that our desire would be each day to be reminded of the gospel, for us to be reminded each day that Christ died for lost sinners. And our desire, Father, we pray that it would be for your word and it would be for you. And it would be also for the lost. I pray for a burden for us that we would go into the world and find those who are lost and take to them your gospel. Father, I pray you would make it so in our hearts. And as we go from this place, that we would remember to take care with how we walk, that there are those following behind us. And Father, that uh, your desire is for us to walk in a manner that's worthy of the call that you've put on us. I pray we would do so, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.